You're listening to Tash Amplified, a podcast that seeks to transform research and experience concerning inclusion and equity for people with disabilities into solutions people can use in their everyday lives. Programming note, we're introducing a few upgrades to Amplified this week. First, today's episode is an interview with Sean Gray, a local punk musician. Our operations director, Edwin Canizales, is known around the office for his early days in the New York hardcore scene. So when we first proposed this episode, he insisted that he get to do it. He'll be our guest host today. Second, content warning. Befitting punk, today's episode includes an explicit word or two, some reclaiming of ableist language, and some loud noise. Third, given the topic, this will be our first episode to include a musical introduction. So, bring the noise, Sean. a music style that's been around since the 1980s and still around today. This genre is known for its social messaging, things like equity, school-to-prison pipeline, and autonomy. Today's guest is a veteran of the DC hardcore scene, an IT expert at the United Liberal Palsy, and the originator of a really, really cool crowdsourced website called Is This Venue Accessible? Sean Gray, welcome to Amplify. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sean, um, tell us a little bit about yourself bef- beyond the things we have said. <laughs> uh, well, so I, uh, my day job, I do work uh, for disability advocacy nonprofit, uh, United Cerebral Palsy National, which is literally about five minutes from here. Um, I do that during the day and uh, I you know, basically do music stuff when I get out of the office. And I've been involved in punk and hardcore and underground music even more so since I was probably about 15 or 16 and I'm 33 now so it's oh, been right over half my life now you have a record label too right tell us about that I do I actually have I've ran record labels since I was probably about 18 um, but the one I'm sort of known for I guess is this label called fan death records um, we're most notably known for putting out records by uh, bands like Room Runner, Twin Stumps. Um, we did a record with uh, that Andrew WK was on called The Living Shame in LA. Um, and we've done about 50 other releases of bands like Clock Cleaner, Puerto Rico Flowers, so a lot of Philadelphia bands, um, and some Baltimore bands too. But yeah, Fan Death is what I was running for a while, and it still is in existence, but I run a label called Axel and Guest Recordings, which is more of like weird experimental punk stuff. Yeah. Now you also play in a band, right? Tell us about your band. I do. I'm in a band called Birth Defects. Um, we've actually been around as an active band for the last two years or so, but the band sort of started seven or eight years ago um, with the now guitar player, and uh, we just started recording some demos, and they got sort of lost, and we both sort of started our lives, and caught back up about a couple of years ago and now the band is actually putting out records and so uh we yeah we've been active for about two years have you been going on tour (laughs) yeah actually um we've done two tours we've played in canada we've done the east coast um we're actually going to do the east coast again in july um and we're about to release we have one seven inch out and then we're putting out another one in in july as well now I know you got some attention beyond the music when uh, when the Village Voice covered your story about the uh, wonderful do- what you're doing with the uh, with your crowdsource website. Tell us about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, the, is this venue accessible? I have cerebral palsy. I use a walker to walk. Um, you know, it's it's when you're going to punk shows or any kind of uh, music event, um, you always sort of have if you have a disability, you you have to navigate. You know, is this venue accessible or not? Where where should I sit or stand? What is, you know, and so I've always had to deal with that. I've just never sort of had to acknowledge it. And uh, the website sort of came out of 
frustration and anger. A couple of years ago, I had gotten laid off from my day job unexpectedly. And uh, I sort of like stuck around my apartment for like a week straight, just bummed and not really quite sure what to do with myself and just questioning why I got laid off. And it wasn't my fault or anything. But And so that I think it was that Friday, I decided I just wanted to get out and blow off some steam and just go out and, uh, excuse me, see a band play and, and have a few beers like, you know, anybody else, I guess. And uh, so I knew there was this hardcore band from D.C. playing, and they were they're my, one of my favorites. And um, But they were playing, I didn't know where they were playing. I knew they were playing on this Friday, and so I went to look it up on, on Facebook. And it was a venue that I knew was inaccessible. And I, for some reason, something just snapped in me where I was like, this is, this stinks. I can't even blow off steam like anybody else would you know i can't just get up and go the venue has uh stairs it's sort of it's like almost two flights of stairs sort of like circle and uh there are railings there but it's you know if you're trying to go by yourself it's and if you have a you know a, a, a disability it's it's tough so in any event i just got really frustrated and i was like well i i, I guess i could you know, say something on Facebook, but with, you know, Web 2.0 and social media, how it is, that stuff just kind of goes by the wayside after a while. And I thought, well, I could call out the band, and but I didn't really want to do that. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, so I, I ended up uh, just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm just going to start a blog. And I thought, well, what, what venues around here can I not go to? And so I made a list in my head and I sort of started just typing, um, you know, what venues are inaccessible? Why? Like, what is inaccessible about these venues? And it got very detail oriented. And I think I cataloged <clears throat> around like 17, maybe 15, uh, something like that. And um, I realized most all of them were inaccessible in some way or another. Um, and I knew that in my head. But to see the data on paper, you know, and to see it sort of spilled out to you is, is a very sort of, you know, it just is really sort of mind-blowing. Um, and I was just going through it, and I was like, this venue is not accessible, and this venue is not accessible. And, well, this venue is sort of accessible, but the bathroom's up here. Or, um, So I realized, I was like, well... You know, this would probably be a, a good resource for me to just have around, just to remember. I'll just throw this on the internet. And then I, I sort of did it in a way where everything had, you know, like even where the restrooms were. So it was, it was organized a little bit. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, I'm like, I've been, you know, I've toured with bands throughout my whole teenage life and my whole, you know, 20s. And I've had the privilege of, of actually seeing different venues all over the world. And uh, so well, why don't I just start with like New York or bigger city and just think about what venues I've been to. And I just sort of started from there. And I was like, well, I have friends and bands who could tell me about these other venues. Um, and so that's how it started. And it was sort of a, like punk, it was sort of this, uh, well, nobody else is going to do it for me. You know, and uh, so I'm just going to have to, you know, uh, no pun intended, do it myself, you know. And uh, so that's how it began. And it's it was it was born out of anger and frustration and uh, wanting to sort of really do something yourself because nobody else is going to do it for you. And and it's that's still how it is today. So, so it's interesting that you say... Um the story about the show, this venue you went to. We'll not mention it out of respect, but interestingly enough, that weekend uh, is when I read the, your story on the Village Voice and and where you, you speak about the venue. And I just happened to go see, um, I went to see Murphy's Law because they're on mm. tour. Yeah, so yeah, I, I went yeah. to check them out. And it, 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 you know, one of the things that I do here for Tash is um, I manage the uh, the conferences. So it, it, for me, it was, I noticed too how... Um, how inaccessible the place, but the better particular place was, even to go to the bathrooms. You know, you know, like a wheelchair user would have a hard time getting in there, and, or, or people getting downstairs, or just around. Period. Uh, most people, you know, probably couldn't really be mo mobile there. So it was, 
it, it, it really hit home and, and, and I should tell the story. It's interesting too because um, for people who are not familiar with uh, hardcore culture and, and the hardcore scene, uh, one of the things that is um, great about the scene is that it started as music for the kids, by the kids, and the thought was, you know, perhaps you may not be able to change the world, but you can definitely change your part of the world. And it sounds like that's one of the things that you are doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really sort of, you know, I I always tell people, they always sort of, the, the first question that I get, or one of them anyways, is, well, you know, do you expect, how do you expect all these venues to change? And you can't, you can't change every venue. You're not going to. It's, it's unrealistic. But what's important is, is getting information out there. And so, like with hardcore, you know, the thing is when I was young and I was getting into bands like Minor Threat, Black Flag, and, and all those really early 80s uh, hardcore bands, even, even though there wasn't necessarily a political slant to some of those bands, the political slant in those bands is, is what they were doing, not necessarily what they were singing about. You know, so the whole idea with... The black flag was you just get in the van and you just go, you just do it, and uh, that's what is this new accessible is. It's you just, I just did it, and uh, it was one of those things. Like I said before, I just nobody else is doing this for me, and I I know that there are people into music, not necessarily just into hardcore, but into music in general that want to go to shows. I mean, even just you know, bigger indie shows or something. And there are venues that are very well known around DC that are accessible in one way and in the ways that matters, they aren't. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I, I think for me, it's just, you just, I just do it, you know, and, uh, hardcore, what hardcore was to me is sort of that, that sort of vitality, you know, that sort of like message of just get in and do it, you know? And, and so, Early 80s hardcore, again, even though it didn't really have, in my eyes, didn't have a political stance in, in its lyrical content, we could argue that it could. That's a whole different podcast. But um, in in its execution, in its, in its action, uh, that's sort of what I gained from that. And so whatever I do, whether it be in bands or whether it be in advocacy, uh, it's sort of the mentality that I have. I, and I, I think it's fair to say most people, most of us who grew up with uh, hardcore music uh, have that, that PMA, what, what yeah. we know in hardcore as positive mental attitude, which is the concept of, you know, you, if it's not done, you got to do it yourself. And you yeah. got to make change. You got to change the world yourself. And you got to feel like you can do it. You know, um, the thing too with hardcore that is great is that it built, and I think you sort of hit on this a little bit, was that. You know, there was community there. There is community there. And yeah, I can't change the whole world, but it starts with changing a community, right? You know, if you can change a community and make other people around you see something different, that message is going to spread. I mean, who would have thought even in 2015, 16, that you would see, you know, the bad brains on HBO. There's that special I think Dave Grohl did and he was talking about DC hardcore it's you know a lot of that is a product of you know changing your community and really sort of making people see that and there's a whole political mess to you know hardcore being on a place like HBO but the, the point is you know that that its roots are really grounded in in changing your next door neighbor and changing that kid across the street or making them see or think differently than they would have before and, and hardcore really did that for me hardcore opened up doors that i i think today i still am sort of it's profound in some ways right and and i think a lot of people a lot of people that came out from that culture do the same i think um now your website it it, it sort of has a little bit of a a, a punk or a hardcore uh, growth to it too, because you started as almost like you know in a very small way, but now it has spread. Tell tell us about what what it, what does it cover now? It I mean it covers, I I mean I don't even have the numbers. I should have brought them with me, but uh, Japan and Europe, you know England, Ireland, you know I 
think there's about 15 states or 15, 20 cities in the U.S. alone. Um, and that, and that's all built, you know, that is built from other people. A lot, 90% of what you see on the site is because other people were helping with it. We're helping build this sort of database because at its root, it's a database. It's really all it is. Um, you know, and I'll be the first to tell you it's people have been trying to do accessible, you know, like rate this accessible building or, you know, that's a, a big thing right now and even startups, you know, there are plenty of website startups that are like, you know, rate this restaurant, is it accessible? <clears throat> and they'll use stars or a rating of some sort. But the thing that I, I always thought was missing was just information, right? I mean, it, and not every site is this way, but I can't really tell if something is accessible or not if you're giving it X amount of stars. What does that really mean? You know, disability is a spectrum, right? It's not just, well, I have a walker, so anything that's accessible for me is going to be accessible for a person in a wheelchair or a person who has, uh, you know, who's blind or, or something like that. Um, so there's not a one-size-fits-all sort of answer for accessibility. And I think the best way to sort of attack that is to give as much information as possible. I wanted the site to be as sort of information-driven as possible. I didn't want it to be flashy in any way. That had less to do with, you know, my resources and more to do with, I just want the information out there. If the information's right in front of your face and it's not sugar-coated, you can't really hide from that, right? If, if I say a venue is the bathroom's up two flights of stairs and the stage is up three, um... I, just having that information in front of you spelled out is a lot more brutal than I think trying to like put some pretty graphics up or there a star or, or something. Right. Right. And so I and I think there's a there's some brutal truths that need to sort of happen when it comes to accessibility, when it comes to disability advocacy. Right. And sometimes I think the able-bodied world is scared to face those brutal truths. And because everybody wants to sort of be an advocate for people with disabilities, right? Nobody, nobody wants to say, oh, well, I don't want that curb cut or I don't want an elevator in that building. Nobody wants to say that. But I, I think it's people are, I think we all, including the disability community to, to some extent, um, are afraid to admit that disability is sort of an oppression, right? And, uh, it's it, that's a very intense word to say nowadays, and it's a very loaded term, and I understand that. But the world isn't built for for me, right? Somebody with a walker, it's not. And you could sort of say, well, that's just how the world was built. But there's a lot of reasons why the world is continuously, in a lot of ways, built. So I can't get in there, and that that isn't just because of the physicality of the building or, or something like that, or the venue, you know, so there's a lot of social implications to being disabled and, and, and being a part of the disability community that is really tough for able-bodied people to, I think, understand and sort of, because when you have a disability, you're really sort of taught to, there are certain things that you're almost not allowed to have, right? You're not really allowed to be angry. You know, you don't, people don't want to see an angry disabled person. You're sort of socialized to believe that, you know, well, if you have a community that supports you, you should just be happy that you can get out of your home every so often. Or, you know, and then there's the whole idea of inspirational porn and what that is and what that entails. And, you know, and, and so there's this sort of, and I, and I've said this before to a lot of people, there's, there's this, this sort of timeline, right? When you have a disability, you're, you're young and you're inspirational and you have a disability and you're, you know, you're used for, for inspirational stories. It's cute. It's yeah. Facebook. And then over here on the other side is your senior citizen and you have a disability or you acute, you've gotten one and you're used for political purposes in this sort of area here, right? There's not a lot of representation for people with disabilities. It's, and if there is representation, it's still inspirational stories or, or something of that nature. But there isn't a lot of 
tracking on what happens once you become sort of, a, you know, a teenager, right? There's no representation of people with disabilities in, in sort of mainstream media. And certainly not in underground music or, or, or art or culture. And if there is, it's sort of this very, like, surface level representation, right? So it's it's one of those things where you grow up with a disability and you're trying to be involved in music and art and, 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 and culture because I do believe that music and art really sort of lead you into other aspects of culture that you just wouldn't be aware of. It's just sort of this, you know, it just keeps opening up doors. Excuse me. So I think, you know, when you have sort of this, again, this sort of abyss of just no representation or little representation, and then you really sort of hone in on like the music and art and culture part of it, it's difficult. And it's, it's difficult to navigate your way through that as somebody with a disability. And um, I know for me, when I was growing up into punk and, and other kinds of music, there was nobody that looked like me or nobody that was going through what I was going through. And it's very easy to sort of push your disability to the side and sort of say, well, it exists, but it doesn't really exist. And you try to normalize yourself. And that's good and bad. And, and it's, it's good in the sense that you... It, it may make it easier for you to go out and do things, but I noticed for me personally, I, as I was like going to punk shows when I was younger, I would always apologize for having to like have people help me. It was always, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, and I guess when you're young, that's sort of acceptable, but you know, I didn't really own my disability until I was in my mid twenties. I was finishing up my sociology degree at university of Maryland. And, uh, I started reading about, um, uh, a couple of uh, disability studies pieces. And uh, I mean, I knew my disability was sort of an oppression, but I didn't really know how to put that together. Mm -hmm. And so I started to really own it and sort of came out in terms of having a disability, right? Because there's, to me, there's this also idea of, at least for friends of mine and for myself, you know, you sort of, again, you've pushed the disability to the side how do you come to grips with your disability and sort of realize what it is and, and what that entails and, and the, the, the positives and the negatives of that? And um, who owns that? And the ownership of, do you own that? Um, so in my mid-20s, that's when I decided I didn't really claim to be an advocate yet. I just knew my disability. I, that wasn't necessarily what hindered me. It was the things around me. It was the social implications around me and the physical parts of the world uh, that, that really sort of hindered my growth as a person. Um, and I didn't look at it in terms of being angry. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't become one of those advocates that just became anti-able-bodied everything. But there's a, there's a realization that you sort of have that this world isn't built for you. And like I said earlier, it's, it's still not in a lot of ways. You know, I sort of have this thing that the ADA is, I'm glad it exists, and it's it's definitely helped generations of people at this point. But because it exists, it's very easy to sort of sweep under the rug. Right. Box is checked, right? So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, you already have this thing, um, and it'll work out for you. They'll build a ramp, or they'll, they'll build an elevator, or, you know, it's they have to by law now. <clears throat> and um, while some of that is true... There's still a lot of work to be done. And I think because that exists, it makes it really easy for people to just sort of forget about disability rights or, you know, accessible issues. And it's not really sexy anymore, right? I mean, we're in the middle of a political race. And uh, it's, it's going to be one of those things where I, I would almost bet you that disability in terms of being a young person is not on the table at all for whoever is in office or whoever gets voted for the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever party you want to vote for. And uh, that's really sad because disability is one of those things that everybody at some point could be a part of in an instant, right? right. Yeah, I, it's, we, you could leave here at the end of this day and suddenly become disabled. And I don't, 
and I don't say that to scare people. I, it's just a realization. And the fact that we sort of aren't really taking, you know, disability rights seriously, uh, that's sort of scary to me. And it's, it's one of those things that I, I hope changes. And uh, I'm not saying that the, the website is going to change that or even me doing advocacy work is going to change that or me doing this podcast. But I think the more people realize that, the, I think in the future, the easier it's going to be to really push certain policies through things like that. So. Right. Now, um, I, know, I know that um, you have gotten some support um, within, within the scene and also with, with colleagues, you know, like all the bands and whatnot. You, you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's one of those things where I think the great thing right now is we live – you know, and this is a debate I think that's going to go on for, for a while. You know, we live in a Web 2.0 world, a social media world. And the good thing about social media and, and any sort of Web 2.0 platform, in a sense, um, is that it's very easy to get information across. And it's very easy for you to get your opinion across. And it's very easy for you to become an advocate, to become political. And I think... I think the, a lot of the bands that have sort of championed the website or have championed disability rights sort of, they sort of now, the Web 2.0 and, and social media has allowed them to really sort of get better information on why this matters, you know. Um, there was a band <coughs> called, uh, I don't know if we can say it on the podcast, but their name is Perfect Pussy. And, uh, <laughs> and um, they're... Uh, they're a punk band and they're a, a pretty big one um, just in terms of, you know, punk being big right. or underground punk. I, I think we should distinguish to underground punk and hardcore versus sort of mainstream like Blink-182 or whatever. I don't know what's popular now and like mainstream punk. But, uh, but this band sort of cut their teeth playing basement shows and very non like accessible shows. And um, they were one of the first to come out and really sort of support what I was doing and why that matters and saying something about it. You know, I'm this big believer that <coughs> again, I got that information about that band that I wanted to see on Facebook and uh, it was a Facebook invite. And it's interesting because you know, you can put as much text as you want on a Facebook invite. This isn't like, you know, even in the 90s where flyers were just, it's all you had. You know, right. you had a, depending upon how big, you can make your flyer as big as you wanted it to, but most of the time it's a sheet of just printer paper. And, you know, yes, you can put, you know, we live in D.C., right? D.C. hardcore was built partly on being very inclusive. Right. You know, let's, you know, let's, I mean, if we're talking like post hardcore and the sort of the second wave of discord bands, right. You know, like your Fugazis and, and things like that who are very politically open and, and very liberal or, or left and very inclusive, I should say. And I think inclusive is, is a better word. And I, and I grew up going to see Fugazi and, and a lot of these sort of political, politically minded, you know, post hardcore bands. Um, and they would talk about all sorts of issues from LGBTQ issues, from race issues to homelessness, to class issues and these were all things that became very important to me and became sort of the fabric of my political upbringing but never once did they, was there a benefit on making a venue accessible or a disability nonprofit or you know, whatever, things like that and when you're sort of inundated with that, you start to believe that your disability doesn't really matter and it's not valid. And these are people that you look up to. And I don't want to say that they need to sort of wave the flag of every oppressed group, but that's such a very, to me, sort of like, and you never want to layer oppression, right? You never want to do that. But it's if you're for talking about what is very sort of upfront and in your face and what's very easy to... the and I don't want to call it low-hanging fruit, but it's very, like, it's very easy to see disability. But I guess it's also not, you know? And they never spoke about that. And I, you know, at the time, I didn't really care because 
If nobody cares about my disability, why is it a valid thing? So I, I didn't. Um, but I look back on it now and I'm like, that's a, those are opportunities that were wasted for, for them, for me, for other people in the scene, for communities. You know, I mean, again, it's, I think being from DC, I mean, I'm really from Baltimore, but being growing up in sort of the DC area to an extent, um, it was a wasted opportunity now that I think about it. It's, you're, you know, <laughs> you're not going to see that in any DC hardcore documentary. There are hundreds, like, feels like there's hundreds of DC hardcore documentaries. Right. There's like five. But we've, you know, I'm sure if you calculate it, and a lot of them have been kickstarted. And there's been a lot of money put in these documentaries. And it's like, wow, what if, what if, uh, what if they just took a portion of that and built a, you know, a DIY space or that was accessible, that was all ages, you know? Um, but, you know, it's, and this isn't me pointing fingers, but it's, you sort of wonder, you know, like, why would I give money to that when nobody's really caring about what I'm feeling? Right. Know? So. Right. No, and it's interesting too, because when you think about some of the background with, some of the background of some of the people that, that came from these bands, and and nowadays when we talk about um, uh, you know trauma informed care, I think is it makes you wonder now that you mention it why they would not have brought uh, they would not have bring this out before because uh, trauma informed care is probably what drove a number of kids to put together bands and talk about things. Some some of some of these people probably have disabilities. They just not. Um, obvious to the eye perhaps, but you know, you will think that uh, they will have mentioned them before, but they were probably dealing with, maybe they were looking at it in a different, in a different, from a different point of view, but. Yeah. And I, and I don't, again, I don't bring that example up necessarily as an attack on like DC hardcore or anything like that. I just think it's, a, it's, it's reflective of sort of the, the overall sort of, view of disability in music and in art, you know, because when you get involved with punk and hardcore or any sort of really underground music scene that abides by DIY ethics and especially punk ethics, I mean, and you're not, your, your voice is not being heard. It feels like, well, I was sold a bad bill of sale. Like this right. Is, you know, like this is, and I, I love hardcore and I love punk and I'm, those are my roots and it's where I'm from. And obviously I'm here because of that. And I'm thankful for, you know, all of the bands that have come before mine in a sense. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where you read in, in, in books and this romanticized version of hardcore. And, uh, but I know for me, I felt like I was missing. There were a lot of shows I couldn't see. Right. I, I did a, uh, uh, a panel at South by Southwest uh, about a month ago. And um, one of the things I, I'd said to, to the people in attendance was, uh, you know, most of you are probably here because, you know, you saw a show that really sort of changed your life, right? And without that show, you may not have heard more bands. You may not have met that partner. You may not have met that best friend. You may not have started that band or started the label. <clears throat> but just imagine that if you couldn't go to that show, how would your life be different? And if you couldn't go to that show, not because your parents wouldn't give you a ride or you couldn't get there or you had to work, but because you just could not, you basically weren't allowed to go. And... <clears throat> Yeah, I'm sure, I know for me, I think about, and I've been lucky to see bands that have played in accessible venues because I've had great friends that have helped me, but I've also um, had to miss a lot of shows because I just couldn't go. I mean, it's it's difficult. It really is. I mean, there's there was a hardcore fest this past, uh, last weekend um, in D.C., and there were shows that I would have loved to have gone to at that fest, but I couldn't because they were inaccessible. And I, I know those people that run that and it, that's not me calling them out. It's, it's a reality. I mean, it's, you know, it's also, I, I understand that, um, you can't 
again, like I said earlier, you can't expect every menu to change, right? And you can't, you can't really sort of put the total blame on the people that book the shows or anything like that. But I think just even this sort of almost ignoring this issue is, is, is more brutal than, and then having shows at an inaccessible venue, you know, and that's, that's sort of what I want to bring to light, you know? Right. And, and Sean, that is so punk of you to do that because I always felt that hardcore music is all about identifying the problems and proposing solutions. And it, and it yeah. sounds like, you know, you're not guilty. You're not trying to use guilt. You're not trying to use pity. You simply are providing people information, uh, trying to promote the right choices by promoters, by, you know, people who might own the venue, bands that book those venues, people who attend. I think, you know, and, and that's the beauty of that is that um, it doesn't change something by force. It changes by through education. And I think that once you cannot uneducate anybody, once you educate them, uh, you know, it doesn't go away. And so I think I think that's a it's a great thing to, to do. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not a, <clears throat> oblivious to the, the, the fact that venue accessibility, it's very important to me. I, and I. I know that and it's very important to other people with disabilities, but I also know it's not the biggest issue facing the disability community or, or accessibility. But it's one of those things where I think for younger people with disabilities that want to be involved in music, it's very relatable, right? I mean, it's to be denied because going to a show is very social, right? I mean, you go to a show to see a band, sure, but you also go to a show to, to hang out with your friends, to meet new friends, to really sort of be involved, especially in hardcore, because it's very communal. You know, it's very, it's very community based. Um, and to sort of be denied that is is huge. And and I know this isn't the biggest issue that's on the plate right now, disability, but it's one of those it's one of those like things that if once somebody really understands, it could lead them into other avenues of advocacy for people with disabilities. Um, and I know that it has for friends of mine. They, they're not just now thinking of venues that are inaccessible. They're thinking of the question, which I think is the most important: Why? You know, why are these venues? Why are these buildings inaccessible? Not necessarily, well, they're inaccessible. What do we do to fix it? <clears throat> I think the bigger question is why. Why are things the way they are physically with buildings? Socially, what does that mean? And when you start asking those questions and you start getting people involved in that community, whether they be able-bodied allies or people with disabilities that just have never thought that way before, um, that becomes the most important question. You're not going to change all the venues around here. There's, I would almost guarantee 99.5% of the venues will never change their inaccessibility because they financially can't, they physically can't. Um, but if the information is there, you know, I'm a big believer that it isn't it isn't about me bearing this weight, right? I really put it on allies and bands and say, look, if you really care about advocacy, if you really care about being an ally to people with disabilities, if you're in a band that is privileged enough to tour and to play a, a venue, and if that venue is inaccessible and you can say no, and you have the privilege to say no, you should say no. Now, I, I understand if you're a woman in a band, or if you're in a small band, it's tough to say no to, to bookers, and it's tough to say no to venues. But if you have the, the privilege to, to do that, you really should. And I think it's going, it isn't going to take me saying this to you, saying this to Joe Schmo. When, when bands start to say no to venues, the venues will start to notice, not necessarily because the bands aren't playing, but because they're losing money. You know, and... and Unlike DIY, and then we should also sort of get a line of demarcation here. There are DIY venues, basements that they just physically can't change. And then they're doing it for the right reasons. But they're also a little bit guilty of not providing the information that they should. But you have other bars, other venues that actually make money that, that you know, they, they, they could be, they should, they should as a business establishment be better at, at, at providing information and, and just being accessible in general. And I would think the marketing of saying they're accessible would be great too anyway. Yeah. It's good for them, right? Yeah, I mean, I, mean I think I think, you know, if you had an accessible venue, you know, I think DC prides itself in a lot of ways of there's a lot of all ages venues, right? And I mean all ages sort of like 
this is where it came from. You know, the idea that, I mean, let's bring it back to like, you know, during like teen idols and they were like, well, we want to go see these shows. Let, you know, they would tell the owner of the bar or whoever, like, just mark our hands. So, you know, that we can't drink, you know, they took it on themselves to like go to these shows and make these shows happen, you know? And I, I, I do in a way think that that's, that onus is on, on me a little bit and on the disability community, but it also took the, the actual, like, you know, bar owners, the club owners, believing that, that they should let them in, you know? And I know that wasn't an easy thing, but I think if you're an owner of a a venue or an establishment, you know, you should want as many people to come as possible. And it's just, I know that I'm not the only one with a disability that wants to like enjoy music, enjoy underground music or enjoy arena shows. You know what I mean? I, there are other people out there. I know it. And I know it isn't even just a handful. There are hundreds, if not thousands of young people with disabilities, older people with disabilities that want to go to shows. That the only thing that they know about punk and hardcore and stuff is what they've seen online or read or listened to. Um, and they, there's a whole world out there that they could be a part of if they just were allowed to be a part of it. And to this day, I'm still like sort of pushed out of that world because I just physically can't go to these shows. But I, I want and hope the, is this venue accessible is used as a resource, right? It's, it's not just sort of used as a, well, let's like, you know, really sort of blacklist this venue, you know, use it as a, if you're in a band, use it as a touring resource. If you are on tour and you want to play DC, well, what are the venues that are accessible and how can I utilize that? You know, use it as a resource. That's what it's for. And I, I really do believe that that's, it'll only grow if people really sort of utilize it that way. You know, I think it's really on, it isn't just on people with disabilities to, to bear this weight. You know, every, every sort of movement had allies, you know, that weren't being oppressed, that were there sort of as support and sometimes having to lead the charge in some ways. And it's going to take allies to, with venue accessibility, with, accessibility in general it's it's it does help and it does take some allies to really push things forward push policy forward so i'm hoping that's what the the site does i'm hoping that's sort of its purpose you know right now um if uh if people wanted to help you expand it what 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 do they have to do i I mean i know that it's pretty self-explanatory online but yeah i mean there's if you go to itva accessible um dot Com. Um, there's a form that you can fill out. It's really easy to see. You just click on there, and the site is it's accessible. Ac- it, yeah, it is. Ac- <laughs> it is accessible. Uh, I think most, if not all, screen readers um, can read it. That's another reason why it's the it's plain. I wanted it to be very accessible for screen readers, and you know, I'm also we're adding a feature in a couple of weeks. Um, where we're going to start adding, and I've been talking about this for a while, but it's starting to pick up where we're going to add capacity, uh, a yeah, field for capacity. Because we can't forget about people uh, with disabilities who have invisible disabilities. Right. You know, that's the one thing that I think is very easy for people to sort of shoe under the rug, right? Well, it's like, well, you don't have a mobility device. You don't look disabled, so there's no way you could have a disability or, or claim to be disabled. So it's very important for me for... For, for people that may need uh, that information about capacity to have that there. Um, I welcome all criticism of the site. I think the only way a movement grows, the only way a site like this can grow, is if you have people sort of holding the fire to you and, and really saying, well, you know, you could do this better. I, I also encourage people with disabilities who aren't me, and it's tough to be vocal, when you have a disability for some people, and I understand that. Uh, but I also understand sort of, this is one viewpoint, you know, and I'm, I'm privileged in the sense that, you know, I have a walker, but that sort of also makes it easier for me to do certain things. I want other people with disabilities to, to have a voice. You know, I want people of color with a disability to be more outspoken, um, women, with disabilities to be more outspoken, LGBTQ people with disabilities to be more outspoken. And I 
don't want to be sort of the, the poster person for this movement. I don't think there should be one. I'm very glad and, and, and honestly honored that so many people are interested in, in this and I'm more than willing to speak to them. But the critique that I would even give myself is that you're getting one viewpoint here and there's there's so many others out there. You know, my story is one of millions when it comes to people with disabilities. And whatever I've gone through, yes, a lot of people can relate to. But there are things that I just can't relate to. I, I don't have a wheelchair. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not visually impaired. So it's, again, it goes back to disability being a spectrum. And, and uh, I think intersectionality is important. And I know that's, you know, a lot of these sociological terms are now sort of becoming a little more mainstream. And it's easy to throw around privilege and intersectionality and, and but I think it's really important for a movement like this or any movement to really sort of acknowledge those. And so I just want people to remember that this is one viewpoint and that people should critique the website. They should critique what I say. They should tell me that, oh, yeah, that's great, but you did this wrong or you didn't say this or just totally be like you just flat out forgot this. Good movements or good Good things happen when that is invited in the conversation. When you have sort of a movement that's just like, well, this is how it is. It just kills it, you know? Right. So I, I you know, I really want the website to also be sort of a, a focus of, well, what can we do better? You know, like, well, maybe there is a more robust type of site that would do this better. Start it. I mean... I started a band because my heroes started a band in, in their bedroom. You know, I started record labels because I just knew there was a record label started in somebody's bedroom. You know, and if I could do it, you could do it and you should do it. And we live in an age now where advocacy and, and, and being political online is very easy to do. And sometimes it is very easy to just sort of pass off because anybody can do it. But I think the, the interesting thing is, is when somebody really sticks to it and really sort of pushes past sort of the noise. So I encourage people that, that utilize the site or that are interested in the site to, to really take a look at it and, and really say, well, what could I have done better? What, what is missing? Or, or if it's just, yeah, this venue is missing. You need to add this. That's, you know, what it's there for. I think, you know, Disability as a whole and accessibility uh, will only get more attention if if we as collective people really give it the weight that it deserves. And I think we're we're afraid right now to give it that weight because it's again it's very sort of not a sexy issue. Um, it's it's tough. And how do you rally the troops around an issue that you know? Yeah, for a certain segment of the population, particularly caregivers and parents who have children with disabilities, this issue is their world. And, and obviously, if you have a disability, this issue is your world. But again, I keep talking about that sort of blank space. You know, I didn't have heroes that looked like me. and I Maybe I won't in my lifetime. But if me being in a band or if somebody else in a band says something about this site or any sort of disability advocacy issue um that's huge because right now there i don't have heroes to look up to and i and i want them and i think some of my heroes will be younger people right and that's important and, and you touched on something that 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 really got my attention when you said and, and i'm speaking you know beyond beyond the civilians it's related to but when we talk about recreation and leisure and how how maybe um, as a community, as a whole, we, we probably don't think a big deal of it. But, but you, you know, when you say, um, when you said, imagine you are now allowed to go into a venue, what would have happened to your life if you weren't exposed to that band or this, you know, this, this experience? Um, I, I think that, that, that brings it down to the, the point of all this is that, Recreation and leisure is much more important in everybody's life 
lives than we think. Yeah, and I think, look, if it wasn't for music and art and sort of really exploring, to me, hardcore is intellectual, right? It, it, it's, it's, there are, it's funny because I read a book recently on New York hardcore. And, um, me too. I, yeah, it's this book uh, called MICHC or MIHC. Uh, Tony Redman uh, wrote it. He's, he's great. And I remember reading about Agnostic Front. And when I was younger, Agnostic Front was one of those bands that were like, they were the bonehead band. But there was something about them, and I promise this relates to what we're talking about, um, that I just suddenly sort of felt a kinship for. And it was sort of the idea of, well, they just got up and did it. And that's sort of the baseline story for all hardcore bands. But even a band like Agnostic Front, who on the outset is sort of this bonehead hardcore band, but you really sort of look at what they were trying to do as a band and that all of the odds were sort of working against them. And honestly, a lot of those New York hardcore bands, um, the early 80s ones. ones. Um, and, And I... And I have an appreciation for that now because, you know, I, I think, again, and I keep reverting to this example, but accessibility and disability, it's not a sexy topic. And it's everybody wants to be the person that says, oh, I, I want, you know, people with disabilities to have a good life. And I would never, you know, say they couldn't come here or that, you know, that they shouldn't be in this venue or in this building or a part of this but the reality is we are excluded and it's not an issue pe- that people are talking about or take se- I, I'm going to go on record and say I don't think it's taken as seriously as it should. I don't think that's an extreme viewpoint. I, I think if it was, again, we would be hearing on either side of the political spectrum from your Donald Trumps, you know what I mean, from your Bernie Sanders about accessibility you know, and not just senior citizens and not just, there would be some meat and potatoes there. And I don't, you know, so, but I think people sort of view accessibility as sort of a not serious topic and not that I'm calling it bonehead, but if I'm comparing it to agnostic front, it's just, you didn't, I didn't really take them seriously at the time, but there's a lot of layers there, not in just what they were trying to do, but their sound and how noisy they were and sort of how aggressive they were and they were aggressive in the right parts. And, you know, granted, I, I'm comparing agnostic front to disability rights, but it, it's the same thing, you know, and I didn't take it seriously for a while. And, and it's unfortunate because it, it is important and I missed out on a lot of good things that I could have maybe saw that band, you know, and, you know, even when they did their million reunions, but you know, I think disability is sort of the same way. It's like people sort of take it for granted, right? And it's sort of, again, you have the ADA, it's there. So, uh, you know, I think what really, if you're art and culture and, and leisure, you know, it, it can be a way to really, a gateway to really explore disability and, and, and what is your place in the world. And punk and hardcore did that for me. It, it really sort of, allowed me to explore this space where I even, even in a a place like hardcore where you're supposed to be your own person and that it's carved out for you already. I still had to carve my own space out and I still have to do that today, but it's, it allowed me to, to grow intellectually. It allowed me to, to get into different kinds of arts, not as, Hardcore led me to to weirder experimental music, you know. Experimental music led me to jazz, you know. It's it, it, it's true, you know. Hardcore and punk were sort of the birth for me in terms of my musical sort of journey. And you know, I listen to I listen to as much hardcore as I do to like free jazz or like avant garde noise or something. And that's because I. I was lucky enough to, I didn't have the, the brother or the sister or the friend that made a mixtape for me, right? I, I, you know, and I will fully admit this, my first sort of <coughs> intro to punk was, you know, my father had Ramones records, right? But I didn't know what punk was until I really heard Nirvana. And that's not necessarily the most romantic punk story, but they were, 
my punk rock mixtape. I mean, they were the first band to really get me into all that early SST stuff and negative approach and son even stuff like Sonic Youth and and all of that stuff. And um and that became my journey to like discover what is this punk stuff and who's involved and why is it important. And and you realize that there were so many great artists that were a part of punk, even if they weren't necessarily directly attached to it. You know, one of my favorite artists of all time is like Yoko Ono, who's this amazing artist and amazing intellectual, amazing feminist. But, but, but my point in telling you all of this is, you know, I used to think I was weird to have this disability and like this stuff too, right? I was like, no, but there's nobody like me. But there actually is. There's there's the community of people who are disabled that love punk, that love experimental music, that love art, and, you know, all of the idea of leisure, the idea of being able to explore this, you really start to see your place in the world. And my place in the world is sort of, the, the foothold is sort of in advocacy. It's what I do every day at work. It's what I do for Is This Venue Accessible. It's when I, when I'm, you know, living my life, I'm being an advocate. And being able to to be invested in music and art has really allowed me to to be here today and it's why we're talking you know so if you have a disability and you're i encourage anybody with a disability to really push yourself to get involved in music and art and culture and you know really sort of try to be a part of that as much as possible and hopefully with stuff like is this venue accessible and and other people who are doing good advocacy work and really sort of spreading the word. Um, this is going to be even bigger and bigger as time goes on. Yeah, as I as I listen, as I as you as I hear you speak, I think of my life without without hardcore music. And you know, if I didn't, you know, when I was young, I'm I'm older than you, so I'm gonna, I'm going to date myself now. But you know, if I if I didn't have a chance to go to like CBG CBGB's matinees or you know. Um, uh, Coney Allen High, or, you know, some of yeah. the other venues. I grew up in New York. Yeah. Uh, to have been exposed to to hardcore music, you know, like you, I feel like that music and that culture define me. Like what I do as a person, as a as a businessman, as a uh, somebody working here, it, it really defines my values as a person, as a human being. So I, I as you mentioned this, I I couldn't think of another life without being exposed to that. And so, so to think that people ha are denied of, of that just because of the disability is, it's really a shame. It's really something that, that needs to change. And I think what you're doing is it's, it's big. I think that, um, like punk, you know, it starts small and it grows, it grows and it's overseas. And I think that's important. Now I want to know, um, you know, I'm hoping that, um, younger people listen to this podcast and listen to this interview um, you know, you know, not, not just people my age or your age, but you know, like the teenagers who are misfortunate to have hardcore in their life right now. Uh, what you know, which, which many of them listen, you know, come to our conference or, or, or the parents come to our conference. Um, what would be a message you will want to give to them as far as like you know um, being involved as a self advocate uh or, or you know through different avenues like for you it was music but it eventually became political but what would you what would you say to uh the young, the next generation the one behind you um i think the 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 advice that i would give them is you need to push yourself you also need to realize that um it's not easy you know, I don't, I'm not a big believer in, in, you know, inspirational quotes, right? And it's, I think inspiration has its place and I, and I, I respect speakers who are inspirational, but I also think there's a certain brutal truth to a lot of things. And I, and I don't mean this negatively. I think you have to, you have to push yourself. We live in a world, like I said, where information is easily accessible in, in, in some regards and when you can get that information and now that it, it is sort of easy it's now sort of up to us as a community to really push ourselves forward 
But as far as being young and sort of where to start or where to begin, or I think the best advice that I can give somebody is to realize, you will realize that it's tough, it's difficult, and things, systems are built around you to make it difficult. But every small battle, every small battle that you win is a winning battle. And those add up. And Is This Venue Accessible started from me being angry about a venue that's five minutes from here. And it's a venue that today still gets shows that I desperately want to go to. But it's now grown into a website that has venues from Japan, has venues from, from places in Ireland, as venues from Nevada, Washington, everywhere sort of in between. And, you know, every sort of entry on there is a small win, it's a small battle. But you add those up and it becomes bigger and becomes bigger. So any anybody that, if I could give advice to is, no battle is too small, essentially. and. What may seem small to you is still worth pursuing because it can grow into something bigger than you ever expected it to. I I didn't expect Is This Venue Accessible to grow more than a couple of cities. I thought New York and D.C. You're, you're big markets, right? But to hear from other bands and people how this website has helped them um, is important. And, and it all started with a small battle. And... Punk is the same way, right? It started with, you know, kids just wanting to play just music and not being technically, you know, great. And now punk and hardcore have spread all over the world. I mean, Deathside from Japan just played New York, you know, this past weekend. And they're like one of the best, you know, Japanese hardcore bands in the world. And that band was sort of built from all these small bands that we're talking about. And people from all over the U.S. flew to see that one band from Japan play fast, ripping Japanese hardcore, or hardcore in general. And um, and it's great, and it's awesome. And, that's a, and to me, that's a good analogy for what you can do as an advocate. You can take it in your bedroom, and it can be something bigger than you could ever imagine and it's doable and it can happen and small wins are important and small battles are just as important as the big ones sean uh you know i really don't think you sell inspiration i think you, you sell drive and that's way better that's way punk it's very hardcore and i'm, I'm really happy that we spoke today yeah, thank you so yeah, much yeah thank you thanks thank you seriously thank you if you would like more of Sean's work, the new 7-inch by Birth Defects, including Aesthetic, the song featured in this episode, is out now and available through their Bandcamp page. Birth Defects are on tour starting in July. You can see them the 14th at Aviv in Brooklyn, New York, July 15th at Track Shack in Alliston, Massachusetts, July 16th at Lava Space in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and most exciting for us, on July 17th at DC9 here in Washington, DC. Additional dates and cities continue into the autumn. For more on their upcoming dates, follow Birth Defects on Facebook or Twitter. To find out about venues in your area, or contribute your intel on accessibility, visit Is This Venue Accessible at itvaccessible.com. You've been listening to Tash Amplified. For more about the series, including show notes, links to media discussed, a complete transcript, and past episodes, visit tash.org amplified. You can subscribe through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app to have the series delivered automatically to your device so you never miss an episode.
If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and on your social networks. TASH is a values and research-based advocacy association located in Washington, D.C., with local chapters covering 18 states. In 2015, we celebrated our 40th anniversary. We offer organization, advocacy, collaboration, scholarship, and education for people with disabilities, researchers, educators, service providers, and family members. In addition to this podcast series, we offer a scholarly quarterly research and practice for persons with severe disabilities, a popular magazine, Connections, a series of regional conferences, and our annual conference. You can learn more about TASH at TASH.org. You can receive updates from TASH on this podcast and our other activities on Facebook or on Twitter at TASH Tweet. This has been a sample of the colleagues and conversations available through TASH. It is only because of the excellent work that our members do that we can bring you this information. For access to more resources such as this and to become a member, visit TASH.org slash join. We'll hear from another outstanding advocate again in two weeks.